O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who mourn in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, has come to ransom thee, O Israel. We all remember the familiar words from Christmas. But it is easy to forget that Matthew interprets Emmanuel, from Isaiah, to mean God with us. In John chapter 1, the Word becomes flesh and tabernacles among us. In Philippians 2, it is clear that this Jesus is co-equal with God and is God. And so the Bible clearly teaches the Incarnation, that the Word becomes flesh. But this raises the question philosophers and theologians have pondered throughout the centuries. Why the God-man? Why does the creator of the universe stoop to such depths? The Lord who framed the stars, why does he become an infant shivering in the cold? Die between two thieves, shed his blood dripping down into the soil of the hill of Golgotha. Why does God become man? This is the question behind the meditations of St. Anselm of Canterbury, a personal hero of mine. Anselm, living in the late 1000s, early 1100s, lived as the Archbishop of Canterbury. Although he was working in operative on either side of the English Channel. In 1066, William the Conqueror had invaded England with his Norman army, introducing a whole new world of learning of Norman influence and, in some sense, subjugation of the local Anglo-Saxon peoples. However, there was a sense of the unification of the Church and chafing between the role of the monarch as well as the role of the Archbishop of Canterbury and of the Church. This would later come to blows when another Archbishop by the name of Thomas Becket would end up becoming martyred because of the influence of a future king. But let us stick within the framework of the topic, which is this treatise, why God became man. Anselm is writing, therefore, not as an armchair theologian, not as an archbishop distant from his flock, but as a man of the people, a man of great learning, and as a highly respected political as well as spiritual leader. And as a result, it is clear that although in the opening of his work he says that this text is written as an, a beginning at an explanation, not an exhaustive attempt at trying to explain the mystery. That he is aware that this will have great influence, perhaps, on the monastic communities all throughout the great religious world of his time. Anselm was not a small or ancillary figure. So, what do we make of the message? 
Anselm begins by describing in books one through nine the question of the logic, the internal consistency of God becoming a human being. And he goes through arguments against and for presenting the fact that Christ is indeed obedient to the Father, and yet at the same time voluntarily lays down his life. However, it is in Book 11 that things get quite interesting, and where perhaps Anselm leaves one of his greatest contributions to the theological West. Drawing from St. Augustine's tradition that all of humanity has fallen under the darkness of original sin, derived largely from Romans and from the book of Genesis chapter 3 and from the whole consensus of Scripture. It is clear that if humanity fell through Adam and through Eve, then humanity can only be redeemed by one of their own number, another last and perfect Adam, to fulfill the requirements of this cosmic debt to offer satisfaction to the justice of God that requires payment, that reconciliation might be accomplished. And yet all of humanity has fallen. And under the sway of a need to satisfy this terrible debt. And then you have the question of who else would be most fitting to offer mercy than the one who is seemingly called on to pass sentence, God himself. It is necessary, therefore, for God to come in his own person, since he is the offended party. And so God comes not only as the judge at the end of time, but here God submits himself to his own requirements, his own Requirements for justice. The incarnation, therefore, has a soteriological focus. The forgiveness of sins. We read of in 1 Corinthians 15 that the Messiah died for our sins, according to the scripture. As a human being, he could pay for Adam and for all of us, but as God, he could bear an infinite burden which no human being could bear. Now, it's very clear that sin in the mind of Anselm, and this is almost a direct quotation, is not to offer God what he is justly owed. And what is God justly owed? Our obedience, yes, but our rational obedience and service to God's justice. And why does God seek us to live in this right relationship? John chapter 10, that we might have life and have life more abundantly. This model of God coming to pay for the weight of original sin, clearly explicated in Romans 4 and 5 and throughout the whole corpus of Scripture, leads to the model of the vicarious atonement of Christ on our behalf on the cross, and the fact that he bears our sins as our substitutionary lamb. It is this idea that would influence Martin Luther particularly, as he would, in the 16th century, combat the attempts of the Western Papal Church to 
trying to add to the sufficiency of Golgotha, to the sufficiency of Christ through an abuse of the indulgence system. And it would be this model of satisfying debt, in essence, that would lead to the idea of Luther's later happy exchange model, focusing on the fact that God gives himself to us um, because of his great love for us, as we read of in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Pastorally, what question might I ask as a result of this? The language of satisfaction and of debt might feel quite alien to our ears in the 21st century when it comes to uh, a God who we would want to focus on as primarily more merciful and more loving and more inclusive rather than just and requiring justice. However, Luther clearly borrowed from Anselm. And he was liberated by this idea of God coming to pay for what we cannot pay. That we ourselves could never pay the debt for our own personal sin, let alone original sin. And therefore, there is a need to radically abandon ourselves to the mercy of Christ. To recognize that because none of us could go to the cross as he did, that he went on our behalf that he bore the penalty for us, and that we are liberated, rescued, redeemed, born-again sons and daughters of God. Family of God, that is good news indeed. And although Anselm can come off kind of dusty to 21st century ears, he is simply representing the good news. And if the good news has seemingly become stale to us, it is because it has either been watered down, it has been made into a kind of cartoonish reality, or we simply have failed to hear it. That God, the omnipotent, the almighty, has come to give us the gift of himself so that we might no longer have to live alienated from ourselves nor one from another. For this cause, God so love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life.